You are listening to the Stories of Healing and Wonderlust podcast, and I am your host, Lou Kelly. Join me each fortnight as I explore the wild and wonderful world of healing, conscious living, yoga, self-development, travel, and the journey of life. We explore the very real human experiences that we go through and the many ways we overcome these challenges. I share with you via solo chats and also in conversation with some extraordinary guests. This podcast is a curation of relatable yet inspirational stories, and it showcases the varied voices in the healing and self-development space today. I hope you enjoy. Hello, my friends. Welcome to podcast episode number nine. Nine is my favorite number. And I am just about to go over the first 1,000 downloads of this podcast. So if you are here and you are listening and you have been listening from the start nine episodes ago, thank you so much. I know that I am just getting started and I cannot wait to bring you more amazing stories of healing and wonderlust all the way into the future. Thank you for being here. I just want to start this episode by taking a big, deep breath. Let's all do it together. Full deep breath in and let it go. Welcome, my friends. Today's solo chat is going to cover three main parts. Firstly, I want to give you a little update about what I've been up to lately living in London, what we have been doing here and what I am working on. And I also want to chat about two other things that have been on my heart and my mind lately. They really are quite interrelated. And that is the second topic for this podcast is why I believe having a daily spiritual practice or a daily sadhana or a daily practice of some kind is just so beneficial for highly sensitive people like me and perhaps like you. And I'm also going to chat around how to create this sadhana. Sadhana is like a daily practice, a daily spiritual practice, and why it doesn't need to look a certain way and how you can adapt this when you're traveling or when life changes for some reason. And the other thing I want to talk to in this podcast episode, which is a segue and quite related, is about why I have re-embraced a minimalist philosophy since I've been traveling and why I'm loving it and why I'm loving the way it's making me feel. So that's where we're going today. Let's start with the little life update. So last time I checked in with you, last time I did a solo episode, I was on our honeymoon in Barcelona. We were living it up in our, and I've got the quotation marks, divinely gifted presidential suite after having COVID during van life. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back um, to episode number seven and have a little listen to that. Barcelona was amazing and the sun really came out after quite a lot of rain that we'd had and it was such a vibrant, fun, fun city. We then flew from Barcelona to Ibiza and it had really been a dream of mine to go to Ibiza. I love Copenhagen. I've spent a lot of time on that specific Thai island and numerous people told me that Ibiza was very much like Copenhagen. Like Ibiza was the European version of Copenhagen. So I thought, I really, really want to go. So it had been a big dream of mine. We really wanted to make it part of our honeymoon. So we went there for six nights. We did three nights over in the old town, which is near this beautiful old castle, um, really lovely, vibrant area by the ocean. 
And then we did three nights in the beautiful hills overlooking the San Antonio area. San Antonio, not really my vibe, but the the area around it, looking out to the ocean, so exquisite. We explored the beaches there, which are just sublime, and we skipped the clubs, watched a lot of sunsets. Uh, the water in the island, in some parts of the island was just so blue, but I have to say it did rain a lot. And I can see why people travel in the summer in Europe and why it's so seasonal. When we were traveling in the van, like so many parts um, and places just weren't open yet because it wasn't the summer season. It was still, you know, mid to late May, but it is very, very seasonal in Europe. And I can see why I think next time we come to Europe, we will definitely come after June the 1st so we don't get as much rain. I don't mind a little bit of rain, but it kind of rained pretty much every day we were in France and some of Spain. So after those magical six days in Ibiza, we landed in London. So the honeymoon is technically over, but London still feels like such a grand adventure. And in fact, it might just be my favorite place out of all of the places we've traveled to on this trip. More than anything, it feels amazing to unpack our suitcases. We've rented this really cute Airbnb studio apartment in Notting Hill. It's got a separate kitchen and a bath and it's quite big, even though it's a studio. So it feels just like a little cozy home. We've been able to unpack and just kind of stretch out a little bit. So we're living in this in this little apartment in Notting Hill and I've only been to London for a week before in the past. So I didn't get a vibe of what it was really like, even though I liked what I um, experienced last time. But now we've got a full six weeks here and I'm really enjoying just getting to know what like London in summer is really like. And uh, it is a vibe. It is really coming alive. Um, My husband and I have flirted before with the idea of potentially moving over to the UK on a more permanent basis. But at the moment, it's still just an idea. We're just experimenting. I actually think we probably won't do that, but we might spend more time here in the future, maybe for a month, every year. We'll see what happens. That's my current thinking anyway. Plans can change. I would also really love to host a yoga retreat here in Europe in the future. It is definitely on the vision board. So like I say, let's see. Summer in London the city is really coming alive. I Let me just tell you, to start with, the amount of light here is unbelievable. Even in the height of summer in Australia, we don't get anywhere near the light that is here in the UK at the moment. It is going to be summer solstice in a couple of days, so we're coming up to the longest day of the year. And it is still light at 10 o'clock when I'm putting myself to bed. And then often I'll wake up in the morning at three, four o'clock, maybe 3.30, and it's starting to get light. I'm wondering if it actually ever gets dark at all. It's really interesting. In our apartment, we have blinds, obviously, like block out blinds, but there's light that gets in the side of the blind. And I'm obviously very sensitive. My body is used to getting up with the light in Australia. Even in summer, I would still get up with the light. I mean, maybe 5.30. But One thing I notice here is that even though I'm wearing like a satin sleep mask, love my masks, um, that blocks out all of the light in my eyes, I swear my body can still feel the light on the skin. And I asked another highly sensitive friend if she has the same thing and she agrees it is a thing. 
So please send me a DM. If you can also feel light on your body and it's not coming through your eyes, what this has shown me is that light is so powerful as an energy, as a force. And I'm trying to align with the power of this light. Like I said, it's almost summer solstice. And when this airs, it will have passed the summer solstice or the winter solstice if you are in the Southern Hemisphere where I'm from. Anyway, London is alive. That is all I can say. The parks are absolutely buzzing. We have, we live maybe 15 minutes walk from Hyde Park and I have been just loving adventuring down there. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see I've been going down there every single day and enjoying the park and all the frivolity that happens down there. Everyone goes out with their bikini on or their picnic or their sport, all in groups of friends. And it's so nice to see that. So absolutely loving it. In fact, we live quite close to Kensington Palace, which is where Will and Kate live. So I don't mind doing my little daily walk past there. Truly feels like the English countryside. You can turn one way and there's like the manicured gardens of Kensington Palace. And then you turn your head the other way and it's like you're in the English countryside, totally overgrown. So it really is such a nice thing to do to regulate my nervous system. I also like taking my books down there and just kind of reading in the sun. The other thing we did recently was take the train down to Brighton. So London is about an hour on the train from Brighton. So last weekend it was a really hot day and we thought let's, we could could see that it was going to be a hot day. So we booked the train from London down to Brighton. My hubby is a big ocean swimmer and he wanted to swim in the original Brighton because we live in Brighton in Victoria. So it's kind of like the namesake of our suburb. So we thought we would go down there. We also have a friend who's living down there. So we thought we would catch up with her as well. So we got the train down at about nine o'clock from London on a a Saturday morning. I think we got down to Brighton train station at about 10.30 and it was wild. From the station, there were literally hundreds of people streaming from the station down towards the beach. It was like a music festival had just ended and they'd opened the gates and it was like pouring out with people. But, you know, everyone was well behaved and just enjoying the ocean. The the beach itself is covered with a lot of rocks, but we found a sandy patch to lie out with our towels and we rented an umbrella and it was so relaxing. The water was freezing cold, not that dissimilar to Brighton in Melbourne, actually. It was invigorating and it was refreshing and I got some sun on my skin and I got to read my book by the ocean And if you know me, you know this is one of my absolute favorite things to do to regulate my nervous system and just to enjoy life. That and explore the park. (laughs) All the grounding things for this highly sensitive Virgo. So that's kind of what we've been up to. We've been enjoying summer in London. Work-wise, I am in the midst of reimagining and relaunching my coaching program for highly sensitive women. Last year, I evolved my offering in the world from just teaching yoga in studio, which I love, and also privately, to going back to study. And I qualified as a now certified Beautiful You Life Coach. And this was really an amazing journey in learning how to hold space for women. And in my case, 
holding space for women who identify as highly sensitive, as this is personally the journey that I have been on and could really speak to in my own transformation and share the specific tools and practices that worked for me. After graduating from this very excellent Beautiful You Coaching Academy program, I went on to coach many incredible women from my community and I led them through a process that is taught to us in the course. The testimonials on my website kind of show how this process really does have efficacy and I'm so proud of the women who went through this with me for doing the thing and stepping forward bravely into their own healing. As we all know, it is not easy to change and intention to change is the first and bravest step. I love holding women in this liminal space. I absolutely live for it. But just before we left for our big trip, I finished up all of the coaching containers that I had at the time and I stopped enrolling any more people into it. I've had some very intentional time off while on my honeymoon. I thought it was really important to take that break. Um, But I'm now back in work mode and I'm feeling creative and energized. Right now, I'm in the midst, while we're here in London, while we're here in Notting Hill, I'm in the midst of reimagining my coaching program. So I'm rewriting it all. I'm creating content. I'm creating the modules. I'm creating the curriculum. And I'm reimagining this program specifically for highly sensitive women. And we're going to be covering things like self-care, relationships, career, burnout, addictive behavior, eating disorders, and there's going to be recorded video modules, workbooks, as well as live coaching calls. I'm going to be properly launching and announcing all of this in due course, but rest assured that I am working behind the scenes to bring you all one very robust and comprehensive program that contains all of the things I wish I knew at the start of my highly sensitive person journey. All will be revealed in the coming month, But I have to say I'm very excited for this and I'm very proud of the evolution of this work and this program. It will be a higher investment than my current one-to-one offer, around about double, but it is a much more robust program and it has so much more to it and so many more bonuses and workbooks and modules. And I estimate this will launch at the end of July. So if you are interested, stay tuned for that coming soon. And I wasn't planning on doing this, but I feel guided to as I am planning this podcast and recording it now. So if you're interested in working with me in a one-on-one capacity before that launches and taking advantage of the past price point, then send me a DM and we can chat. I estimate that I'm going to have space for about just two clients for this three-month mentorship, which consists of the six sessions, as well as voice and text support in between. So it's a three-month transformation program. Um, So if you are um, highly sensitive and you are like, I need this now and I don't want to wait and I want to take the lower cost option before the new program launches in late July, then this is for you. There is so much value in being seen and held and supported and guided as a HSP. This is my wheelhouse. I am here with you. So that's work for me right now. I'm in a potent creative space and I truly feel like the summer energy is supporting this season of my business and my life. My hubby is in his office in London and I have this beautiful space to work from. And so here we are. 
So that was kind of my little recap, the first part of this podcast, what I've been up to, where I am in business at the moment. So let's move on to the second point of this episode. And this is why I believe having a spiritual practice as a highly sensitive person is so healing, soothing, and grounding. If you are listening to this podcast, there is a fair chance that you are aware of what a highly sensitive person is, or you are one, or both. If not, and you're interested in finding out what it is, go back to episode three, where I outline exactly what it means to be a highly sensitive person, the good, the bad, the interesting. However you frame it, the truth is we are different and we have different needs. When we look at it from the perspective of how to truly thrive with our unique sensitivity, all I'm interested in is how can I live my life so I feel and act in and experience the world better. That's what I care about. Believe me, I have struggled in the past and no one ever explained to me what I know now. I literally stumbled across this information a couple of years ago and it has been absolutely life-changing. When we have self-awareness, we are able to start the healing process. So where does a spiritual practice come in and how can we understand it? Let me just share my experience very briefly. If you want to know the whole nine yards, listen back to episode number one. It's there. These are just the cliff notes. So basically, I grew up in nature in Margaret River. I was always playing in nature and by the ocean or in the bush, which is where my family's house was on a, in a bush block. So this was somewhat idyllic for a highly sensitive child, I guess. I mean, not that, I mean, all children are highly sensitive. I guess some are more than others. I look back and I realize that being in nature was my spiritual practice then. I knew every tree, every fallen log, and all of the tracks through the eight acres of bush that we lived on. This was so good for my nervous system. I even remember sleeping in a tent on the lawn for a couple of weeks because I just loved being in nature. <laughs> we as humans are nature. We are nature. And I was just very aware at that time of my life of what made me feel good. Also, my mum was really into yoga back in the day. And by back in the day, I'm talking like late 80s and early 90s. She still kind of does it, but that was when it started. And back then it was really fringe. It wasn't cool like it is now. Um, it wasn't mainstream at all. And I was really there for the bhajan group. So you're in yoga, obviously, it's such a huge offering these days. Uh, in the late 90s, it was very much about asana, ayinga yoga, but they also had a group in Margaret River where they would go to different people's houses and like sing what we know now as like kirtan, like chanting, mantra, but they called it bhajans. So every Tuesday night we would like go to a, another person's house. I was like six, seven, eight at this stage and I just loved it. And that was really my first experience of being in an organized spirituality or spiritual group. So that was my first touch of yoga. Like I never did any asana until maybe my late teens, early twenties, but I was really into like chanting along. Yeah. So we would go to these different houses and chant these mantras. And the Shiva mantra was my favorite chant. And we would all bring a snack or some fruit and put it on the altar. And then we would chant and then eat the charged with vibration food after the session. So <laughs> 
Although this is kind of mainstream now, some of you are thinking, well, that's kind of normal. I think back in the late 80s, early 90s, it was really very, very kind of weird. But I loved it. I was there for it. And I could literally feel the mantra and I could feel the energy in the food after I ate it. I was highly sensitive. And this was, I guess, yeah, my first experience of yoga. It really was. Something in me just resonated with it. And I knew the Gayatri mantra by heart by about seven years old. And I used to sing it over and over and over again. And I really think that these early experiences planted the seed of what was to come in the future for me as far as a sadhana or a spiritual practice. So then during my teen age years, I experienced a trauma, which I cover in episode one, so I won't repeat it here. But what happened in the healing is what is interesting and relevant for this episode. As I went down my healing path in my mid-20s, I realized what made me feel good, and that was yoga or asana, movement. But it was also reading spiritual and metaphysical books. Showing up to the mat, so when I found a yoga studio and I showed up to the mat day after day and moving and the breath, the pranayam, it got me out of my head and back into my body and I started to move the trauma out. I, things started to shift. I also started to come back into my body. And what we know about trauma is that it creates a disassociation and we can literally leave our body when it doesn't feel safe to live there anymore. There is a split that happens between our body and our soul. And this is really a significant cause of dis-ease, dis-ease. What I experienced with my yoga journey was a sense of remembering my body and learning to feel safe in it again. I learned to love the feeling of moving, and this created a feeling and an experience of embodiment, being back in my body. You know, when you do a sun salutation, inhale, hands up, like I could feel myself coming back into my body. And I don't think it's possible to heal unless we are back in our bodies again. That's my personal opinion. This is just my lived experience. I'm not a trained trauma therapist, but I can share with absolute certainty what I have been through and what has worked for me. So yoga was really a way back into my body. I believe it is a healing pathway, of which there are many, and it is huge. So yoga is huge. Within yoga itself, within the broad theme, tradition of yoga, there is asana, the movement, breath, pranayam, there's meditation, there's philosophy, so much philosophy, different aspects of it and different theories and schools of thought, as well as guidelines on the way to live a good life. So the yamas and the niyamas, like how to live a good life that is in alignment and creates good karma and just good energy. So it's such a huge body of knowledge and it's one that I have found very helpful as an anchor for living in the world as a highly sensitive person. It is one of my strong core beliefs that having this daily sadhana, you might know the word sadhana, it means like daily practice, is really important to thrive with high sensitivity. And let me tell you why I think this is. When we're in the world, our sensory input is really high. So there's this constant demand for our attention and it's easy, as we know, to get overwhelmed. 
I know that I get frazzled easily when my attention and my awareness is constantly looking outwards. What can happen when we get overwhelmed is that we shut off and we shut down and we just automatically retreat inwards. This is an automatic defense mechanism and one that has probably served us pretty damn well in the past. Our coping mechanisms are not to be knocked. They kept us safe for a time until we can find a better way to live and to deal with who we truly are and how sensitive we are. My suggestions and my lived experience is that having a daily practice has been life-changing for me as a highly sensitive person. What a daily practice is essentially is just taking our awareness and our attention and intentionally directing it back inwards. So checking in with our own body and our mind. I have had a daily practice of some kind for the last five years at least, at least since I went through my last pretty dark depressive episode in 2018, which again I spoke about in the first episode, I've made it truly a habit to have this daily practice and it's changed everything. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, I don't have time to go to the studio for a 90-minute complete practice with asana, meditation, chanting, mantra, and all the things. And let me be clear, this is one version of a daily practice, but the beauty of making a practice your own is that you can do you, boo, you do you. Let me offer some examples of what my daily practice has been over the last years. It can be things like, and I'm giving you just a little listed example so you can see how varied it is. So for example, waking up and first thing, lighting an incense and a candle and just setting an intention for the day. It could be rolling up my mat, doing some intuitive movement as my body calls for it. It can be as little as five minutes or as long as two hours. It can be journaling, a stream of consciousness. And as I write, I say things like, and then what? And I go deeper and deeper. It can be a swim in the ocean and then sitting watching the water and just breathing and just being. It can be walking preferably barefoot, without any music or headphones in, just to give myself space to think. Remember, we don't want too much input. The world gives us enough input. So try and take the headphones out so we can hear our own inner voice. Trust me, it makes a big difference. It can be lying down and listening to a recorded yoga nidra. I'm really into this at the moment, guys. I highly recommend Rain Watkin and Phoebe Jubar's recording on Spotify. I've been listening to that a lot. I think that yoga nidra is really healing for us sensitive souls. It's a great daily practice. It can be making a cup of tea or cacao and mindfully sitting to drink it slowly just to be with ourselves just tasting every last sip of the tea or cacao. It could be listening to mantra and letting the vibrations wash through us. And lately it's been a lot of reading spiritual books or philosophy books. I love my books. You guys know that. So as you can see, it's not just about the asana. My list is so varied and I consider all of these part of my spiritual practice and I pick and choose them 
out of my toolbox, depending on what I need or where I am or how much space or time I have or my energy levels. You know, you need to consider what you're dealing with, how you're feeling on any given day. Are you well? Are you unwell? Where in your cycle are you? You know, all of these things. So I've had a daily practice the whole time we've been traveling on the road over the last couple of months. And the beauty is you just adapt your practice to where you are, how you're feeling, like I was saying before, all of those factors. So for example, if you listen to the last solo episode, you'll know that I was damn sick with the big C while we were traveling in the van through France. And I did not do one down dog for those 10 days, obviously, didn't have the space, wasn't well, but I did a lot of reading, writing, and walking in nature. And those practices gave me a connection to myself and a connection to the power that is within and the power that is without. So I was doing yoga, just minus the asana. It was very potent. And in this way, my daily practice fills me and the times I need to retreat from the world are far less than they would be. So think about that. This is a tool for living. Our daily practice gives us the intentional withdrawing, that prachahara, the withdrawing back of the senses so we don't have to be always kind of feeling depleted from the world. So right now we are grounded in a beautiful apartment in London where I have all the time in the world and the space to move my body. So I'm practicing around two hours a day with all of the things and it feels luxurious and it also feels simple and it is also free, (laughs) yet it's deeply valuable and it pays dividends to my mind and my body. And so this is a pretty perfect segue into my last point that I wanted to speak to in this episode, and that is about me re-embracing minimalism as a life philosophy. So some of you might remember I was really into it in 2019 when I kind of discovered it for myself for the first time. And by it, I mean uh, minimalism as a philosophy for living. At the time, I was traveling the world pretty much the entire year. I was living in Thailand for four months, living in a little jungle hut, and I was teaching yoga. I traveled to the US and Mexico with my now husband, and then I was in India for the final part of the year for about six weeks um, to finish out the year. And then before that year of travel, I was obviously saving hard and not buying stuff I didn't need because I was going to be putting any possessions I couldn't take with me into storage. So the minimalist philosophy felt really liberating. I love to spend my money on travel and experiences. And although I like nice things, I don't need much to be happy. My partner is the same, and I think that's why we match so well. What happened during COVID was interesting. So I got back into online shopping, and I didn't think I was the only one. So we went into lockdown, not much to do at home. The consumerism went up. We're spending a lot of time online. And I forgot why I was a minimalist in the first place. And I just enjoyed buying a lot of stuff. For all of us, especially <laughs> us in Melbourne that had those extended lockdowns, it was a challenging time. And if I'm really honest, I think I was kind of numbing those feelings of being a bit trapped with shopping online and getting back into just buying stuff that I don't really, really need. And then when the lockdowns finished, 
I was again earning money and I was spending money and I found myself unconsciously back in this cycle of eating out at fancy restaurants and buying things I saw on Instagram and I was hooked again and it happened without me even realizing it. I was looking for the next purchase and I was getting the dopamine hits when I did. So what's interesting is that what traveling again for a significant amount of time has done for me this year is it's made me re-remember how a simple life can be so damn good. I have not been buying anything that I don't need to replace, full stop. As I've had this intentional time off my business as well, and I haven't been teaching yoga, I haven't been earning money, so I haven't been in spending mode. And it's making me do more things that are low cost or free. What I have is an abundance of time. And I'm realizing how much having this space to do my practices listed above, (laughs) we've just been talking about, it's so great for my highly sensitive soul. I'm also not teaching yoga like I usually do in studios several times a week in Melbourne, so I have energy for more movement at the moment, for more of my own practice, and I'm going so deep into my yoga again. I'm falling back in love with the practice at a deeper, deeper level, and it's a private practice because I'm doing it at home by myself, which I haven't done for so long for an extended period of time. I do realize that my basic needs are taken care of. So I see that privilege for sure. But anything beyond that, I am not interested in at the moment. We absolutely go out for dinner once or twice a week to a nice restaurant, but I'm really enjoying cooking simple vegetarian food at home for my man. I'm enjoying walking to the shops, buying the groceries and eating mainly plants. I'm watching mind-expanding documentaries, reading books, creating my course content, walking in the park, as you guys know, and everything I spoke of above is nourishing me so deeply. I go to the shops on Oxford Street only when I absolutely have to. So if you know London, you know that Oxford Street is this wildly crazy shopping precinct where every consumer shop under the sun is located and people go there and they get into like a frenzy. And so I've been down there a couple of times and it was a little triggering, but I got what I needed to get and got out of there. But most of the time I'm keeping it local and I'm realizing that a simple connected life is the best way for me to live. And yes, let's see how I go when I come back to Melbourne. But I think this realization is profound enough to keep it up. Also, and this is something I want to ask you about how you're feeling, is there's so much in the media at the moment about interest rates rising and I feel like we can all benefit from a bit of peeling back of consumption to what really matters. If anyone has watched the recent series on Netflix called How to Be Rich, hosted by Ramit Sethi, which was excellent, by the way, who's seen this? I've recommended it to so many people. You'll know what I mean when I ask you the question, what is your rich life? Because everyone is different. The question is, what do I truly want? And what am I getting confused by with all the bombardment of marketing and the infatuation with being busy? I guess when you think about what your rich life is, it's like what really matters to you and what can you kind of peel away? What is just there by default that you've taken on as a belief as something you need when you actually don't really need it? How can you simplify and create a life that is just totally about what you love and let the rest 
of the crap go? My question to you that I'll leave you with is what can you let go of so you have more time, more connection with yourself and others? Where can you perhaps spend less so that you can work less, so you can have more time for that daily practice? We only have one life that we remember. So let's make sure we're spending our precious time and our awareness and our energy wisely. And so that's a wrap from me this month. I hope that gave you some little nuggets of insight and contemplation. Lastly, I want to mention briefly my retreats. So Bali in November is down to the last three rooms. These are beautiful, sweet rooms, and they can be taken as a solo traveler or shared with a loved one. I absolutely cannot wait for this retreat. This is everything that I love about holding retreats. All of the details are on the website. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful event in paradise, barefoot luxury. All of the details are going to be exquisite. And I also have the retreat at the end of the year in December in Torquay. So if you're interested in coming to Torquay, if you're in Australia and you want to keep it local, there are still spots left for Conscious Creation Queen, which is really all about consciously letting go of the year that was and bringing in 2024 really intentionally and clearly. So those are the retreats. And remember, if you want to work closely with me, as mentioned earlier in this podcast, there are two coaching one-on-one spaces to start before the end of this month only at the previous price point that will soon be going up with the launch of my new program next month. So if you have any questions, sing out by a DM. I always love connecting with you guys. And if you're still listening to this episode right now at the end of this quite long episode, thank you so much for being here. I love you. And next episode is again, an amazing guest. So I shall see you all in two weeks for that. Much love to you all. Thank you so much for listening today, everyone. If you loved this podcast, please share it with someone who you believe might need this message today or share it on your social media. And don't forget to tag me. I really love your feedback. You can reach me at hello at lukelly.com. That's Lou, K-E-L-L-E.com. Until next time, stay happy, stay free. You are perfect as you are.